each one of us has a tremendous influence on those around us. A, that's what ASI stands for. You have a sphere of influence that no one else has that same sphere of influence. And you will have opportunities to interact with people that most pastors will never have. So um, I wish that every important person I had met, I had had a chance to influence them for right. I know when I was at Michigan State University, at the end, one of my professors said, you Christians are good to work with. Must have had some influence there. I've seen uh, Hillary Clinton speak at graduation. At, I used to work for 18 years at the State University of New York at Brockport near Rochester, New York, and she came one year for graduation. Um, <coughs> my friend, one of the professors, we were sitting in the front row, he started to pull out a camera to take a picture, and the, the uh, Secret Service came running up onto the platform to dive in front of her to, to protect her from him shooting her. That was exciting, but I didn't talk to her. Chuck Schumer came and every graduation gave his speech. It was always the same speech. Um, faculty members could recite it word for word. That was a famous person. Uh, in the State University of New York system, we had 64 campuses, 465,000 students, and the chancellor was over that, the whole thing. And so I had the opportunity to travel with a couple of chancellors overseas, um, Admiral Ryan, traveled with him in the Ukraine, and then he agreed to come and talk to my class. That was pretty exciting. But um, it wasn't until <coughs> recently that I've started to, after all these years, have opportunities, and my influence is pretty meager, but opportunities to meet with some people. So I worked for the State University of New York. I was a finance professor, then I moved into and the role of assistant provost for international education. So I sent students all over the world. We had over 100 partners, one of the largest uh, study abroad programs in the State University of New York system. Uh, my most favorite place to go was, I took students one time to Antarctica. That was pretty exciting. So, um, <clears throat> Education opens doors of influence. I started to realize that education opens doors of influence and we're all called to a particular role. Not everybody is called to education. But it reminded me of my brother growing up. I don't know if any of you know my brother Homer Trecarton. Well, he's a good storyteller, better than I am. I just, I like to claim, him, I'm very proud of him, I like to claim his storytelling ability is that I trained him, but I, it's not true. So, um, in college, a general conference mission representative came to our campus, and I was a theology major at the time, and he wanted, he, I wanted to go to the mission field, and he said, well, you're in the wrong degree, you need to take something else, because we don't need theology majors in the mission field, we need business people, we need other people in the mission field. Uh, we're going to use local people usually to be the pastors in those fields. And so that was really disappointing to me, but in hindsight, it was probably good advice. So um, <clears throat> I want to tell you a little bit about what's happening in Vietnam and the ways that we collaborate right now. It's so exciting.
So Griggs International is an Adventist organization that transferred to Andrews University. They'd been working in Vietnam for a few years, so they've started this. But we have now um, merged them into Andrews University, and we have work in Vietnam. We offer the MBA degree, Master's of Business Administration degree there. We are just starting to offer the uh, Bachelor of Business Administration there as degree as well, with the uh, largest university in um, Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam National University, huge university. And then we've opened up a new agreement with um, the National Economics University in Hanoi, which is in the north. So Vietnam, if you don't know, what do you know about Vietnam? We had a war with them, right? Well, <coughs> it's a booming country economically. And right now with President Trump talking about tariffs on China, a lot of businesses are even shifting their production to Vietnam. It's even more booming than ever. It's just an amazing, it's like the one of the four tigers 20 years ago. So it's a, a booming country. 95 million people in this little country. And it's, uh, how many do we have, how many people do we have in the United States? Somewhere over 300 million. So about a third, little less than a third of the membership uh, population in Vietnam. It's a communist country. Our Seventh-day Adventist Church doesn't have a lot of activity there. We have some official churches, we have some underground churches, but um, there isn't a lot of activity going on there. Well, right now with this, these MBA programs, we have influence, tremendous influence to make friends. Um, <coughs> this, uh, this Sunday, is Andrew's summer graduation. I'll, ha I'll have two Vietnam students that will be graduating. They came to the United States for their MBA. Uh, I have another student that graduated in the spring and she spent her summer at Advent Health and she's been very involved in the social activities, up front leading songs, getting, um, making friends in our university. When I was there um, in May, we spent some time with the students and amazing students we're making friends with. One of the students I talked to had just done, he worked for a large bank, he just did a $100 million US deal. Another one of our students has the largest dating site in the uh, country of Vietnam, very, very famous person in their country. We just met with um, Petrolimex, their national petroleum organization, and they are, uh, their executives are learning English right now, and then they will be taking, being cohorts in our MBA program. I sat on the plane with one of your students' board. Um, he's the director of ANA Airlines in Vietnam, Al Nippon, the Japanese airlines. So he oversees all the aviation for 75 airports in, in the country. He's doing your doctoral degree in leadership. So the influence that I have is small, but I, see, I get to be places that no one else can be. So our main contact works for the Politburo in the country. And he took us to see the education minister for the country. We did, we've seen this individual twice. He's a big friend of our program. 
because of our friendship, even though they're a communist country, they're opposed to religious proselytization, they, um, our seminary dean has visited and they liked him so much they've said that he's free to have uh, meetings there. So he can have workshops and meetings there even though they don't allow that to happen. So your influence, God is directing you you have a sphere of influence, there will be doors open that you never imagined, just like Esther, just like um, uh, Joseph, just like Daniel. And um, the collaboration opportunities are great for, for us in countries that we didn't imagine because God is opening the work there. The last thing I want to tell you about Vietnam is a little school, well it's a big school, there's about 7,000 students in three different locations that we went to meet and I've rarely seen a school where the kids are so happy and so full of life. So growing up I had four boys and you know how boys are when they're very young, they're bouncing off the walls and in school do we allow that to happen? We uh, drug them up with, say they they're, have ADHD, we give them drugs, we put them in an atmosphere where they learn not to love education. By the time they get to university, they've lost their love of education. And then we have to try to reinvigorate them when they get there. So this, this little school, I was so impressed. The kids in between classes had huge open spaces and they were just running around laughing, having a great time. It was the type of school that they focus on the personality more than they focus, they focus on the academics, they focus on the personality. It sounded like they'd been reading Ellen White and they were talking about the whole person education. And so they are looking at collaborating with us and taking our curriculum and putting it into these schools. So the world is opening up. <coughs> if I'm, I think I'll, uh, I'll wait on that. Any questions so far? You're free to ask questions. Okay, so we um, also have a lot of students coming to us from China. I don't know if that will continue, but right this instant we have a group of um, uh, 26 Chinese students on our campus for three weeks. We do a summer camp where we have, give them English classes in the morning. We have a healthcare administration class in the afternoon for them. They do lots of excursions. We have a special program for them to introduce them to the culture, the religious culture of the United States. We talk about some of the opportunities that they have to ask questions that they wouldn't get in their own country and then they go back to their universities and a lot of them will then come to us. We have a lot of students in our MBA program right now from China and they are learning. We have a Sabbath school class every uh, once a month specifically for those students to address issues of religion from a perspective that is not, it is not a, a, a typical Adventist Sabbath school class because they come to us with no religious background at all. So we look, we start we bring in professors to talk about scientific issues, creation issues, um, archaeological issues, and we're trying to bring them to a friendship with us. Then we take them, of course, to church, potluck, and so on.
Um, in the country of Ghana, there's some new opportunities opening up. I just got, spent some time with one of the Supreme Court justices there. Uh, we, of course, went to our university at Valley View, um, but we're also looking at um, bringing some aviation students from the, uh, the most respected um, engineering school there, and the Krami, uh, um, um, Science, uh, University of Science and Technology. So what is edu SDA education system? I'll, I'll now switch gears a little bit and talk about some issues and some problems. We have an SDA education system. Our church structure, I'm so proud of it. it, it the financial structure, the church structure, and the um, <coughs> The mission that we have has been tremendously, tremendously successful at spreading the gospel throughout the whole world. I don't think it's perfect. I think there are times when we need to change. But right now we have in the, in, in the world 8,514 schools and colleges, schools, colleges and university, 108,000 teachers, a couple million students. This is a tremendous opportunity that we have. And if we were a congregational organization, we wouldn't have this because the, there are congregational denominations that send students overseas. They send uh, professors, they send missionaries overseas, but they don't have the systematic way of building uh, uh, a mission to reach the world. Sometimes we question whether the quality of our schools is worth it. And sometimes we question whether if my student goes to an Adventist school, they will be prepared well enough. There's a perceived quality issue. So I, I, have, I hear that on both sides. Is it harder to be successful if you graduate from an SDA institution? Are we somehow inferior? And that's the natural question. If you are going off to a public university, you wonder, did my SDA education pay off? And I can assure you that the quality of our SDA education is excellent. There are areas for improvement, but the quality is excellent. And we have people that are moving into the highest areas of um, positions all over the world that have gone through our schools. So here's a quote. Let me tell you, see if you like this quote. <clears throat> what is the aim and purpose of your life? Are you ambitious for education, that you may have a name and position in the world? Have you thoughts that you dare not express, that you may one day stand upon the summit of intellectual greatness, that you may sit in deliberative and legislative councils and help enact laws for the nation? Any reaction to that? Do you like that concept? Or is that sort of rub you the wrong way? So when I was growing up, I sometimes felt a little guilty about having ambition. Then I found this quote, here's the rest of it. There's nothing wrong in these aspirations, messages to young people. That's, that's okay, right? 
Aim high and spare no pains to reach the standard. The fear of the Lord lies at the foundation of all true, true greatness. Integrity, unswerving integrity, is the principle that you need to carry with you into all the relations of life. Carry your religion with you. So you may be influencing business people around you. You may be helping in a ministry someplace. You may be eventually talking to kings or legislatures or rulers. Okay, uh, just I want to give you a little bit of background about where I'm coming from and then talk about some of the issues facing the North, North American division. So this is the uh, Chan Shun Hall on the campus of Andrews University. If you're ever at Andrews, please come by and see if I'm in my office. I'd be happy to talk to you. It'd be great to meet you. So we have uh, a number of undergraduate business programs in marketing, management, accounting, finance, information systems, and international business. Tremendous programs. We have a lot of students that do pre-medical. They get a degree in business, but they take their pre-med courses, and then they'll go off to Loma Linda or elsewhere. We have, uh, this morning you heard the ACA Colleges Abroad presentation. Great opportunities for students to uh, get their language and their business degree at the same time. As something exciting, uh, I'm going to show you a slide that talks about the purpose of education. Uh, new program, our Innovation and Entrepreneurship Center. We also offer Masters of Business Administration and Masters of Science in Administration degrees. So, <clears throat> we believe that the whole person needs to develop. And this morning when we heard the um, discussion about the Amish and their focus on work, it saddens me, but as, an est as a Seventh-day Adventist denomination, we tend to lag the world by about 20 years in our philosophies. So it used to be that work was really, really important as part of our education system. And then it slowly as the laws changed, the child labor laws came in, for whatever reason, we phased uh, work programs out of most of our schools. We still have students that work on our campuses, but it seems like we need to swing back the other way, and there's a lot of reasons why we need good work programs on our campuses. I know that some of the uh, some of the schools are doing a, a, be, a better job than others in this area, but we really are putting a focus on internships. So um, right now, our students, our accounting students, and our finance students can walk out of class and walk across the hall and they work for Crow, one of the national accounting firms. All of their audit, audit data is electronic now. So they send a manager to our campus, pay our students $15.50 an hour and they can earn up to, they can work up to 30 hours uh, a week while they're in school and uh, getting great internship experience. So Crow, um, <clears throat> one of our auditing teachers, is a uh, manager for Crow, senior manager. So he opened up this internship program on two campuses, Ohio State University and uh, Andrews University. 
and for the first couple of years we beat them Ohio State University for student billable hours we did a great job they're very very pleased with our program we're trying to get students placed all over in internship positions. We have a lot of students that will go to Advent Health, a lot of students that will go to Kettering, a lot of students that go to Amida Health in Chicago. The healthcare organizations can't get enough Adventist students. So I was at a conference at Advent Health in Florida here a, um, this spring and they, they did an executive onboarding session and they asked all the School of Business deans from all of the Adventist campuses to come. So we were there watching the process of how they bring executives on, they hire them and train them and bring them on board. And one thing stuck out to me, they're planning on hiring this year 22,507 people at Advent Health. They have lots of hospitals over 40 country, 40 states. Will those all be Adventists, 22,000? Absolutely not. We wish they were. They wish they were, but they just can't get enough. They have made a commitment that all management will be Adventists, but they struggle. Our business schools don't have enough people to turn out to give them all the people that they need. So they struggle to get the... Um, the opportunities to fill positions. And the only way we are going to meet that need is if we can keep more of our young people in our church. So we're, um, computer science has moved over into the College of Professions. And you know that um, the uh, Amazon is now exploring delivery with drones. Drone, any good real estate firm has a drone to take pictures of their houses. So all drones have to meet the Federal Aviation Administration regulations. So we have a uh, drone certificate that we're partnering with the aviation department and the uh, computer science, um, the computing department. So students will come out with a certificate and they'll not only be able to program their drones and manage them and, and run them, but they'll be able to uh, go to work for a, a number of interesting operations in the, that area. We have a degree in information systems, informatics, computer science, and data science. Tremendous opportunities in this area. So most students don't want the heavy duty mathematics. So computer science is a heavy math oriented degree. Um, information systems is a heavy business degree. Informatics is in between. It's um, low business, low math, but lots of technology. So we've launched this new degree. We think that this is probably where 80% of the students will end up. We have a new degree in data science. It's tremendous job opportunities in that area. So here's from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the job possibilities for the next 10 years, 2014 through 2024. Anything dealing with computers is that top line. Those are the jobs available. There's no way we're going to finish, fill those jobs with um, US citizens. Uh, any student that wants a guaranteed job, this is a great field to go into. 
So we have a fabulous aviation program. It seems like I have all the programs under me where their job possibilities are excellent. So um, we have a hard time finding students that don't have debt that want to go to the mission field. So there's opportunities for aviation pilots, there's opportunities for aviation mechanics, but oftentimes a student comes out of school with so much debt that they don't feel like they can go. So we do have a need for help in that area. The airlines are stopping by constantly, sending us emails saying, do you have any pilots, do you have any uh, mechanics? There's um, probably a 30-year shortage of pilots worldwide. There's, so there's tremendous opportunities. We have a, our aviation mechanics program. You can do a two-year associate's degree. We have a special scholarship just for that program, $14,000 a year scholarship to get some more students into our aviation mechanics program. But all of our programs, we are very interested in not just the career success, we want the mission-minded, service-minded, ministry-minded students. We will have failed if we are just preparing students for success in, the, um, in their careers. Which reminds me, I worked for 18 years at the State University of New York, and before that I worked at Andrews University. After that I've been back two and a half years. I always ask my students to fill out a, um, to, uh, an assignment at the beginning of class. And one of the questions was to give me a short essay on what their goals were in life. And so my Andrews University students would often, not always, but often talk about the higher, more valuable things of service and ministry. My students at State University of New York would hardly ever talk about service or ministry. They would almost always put things down like uh, get a good job, make lots of money, maybe get married, maybe have a family. But it was always shallow um, ideas that are not ministry-minded. So it's so important that your students have the right motives and the right future before them. So we have these plaques on our, on our wall in our building. Remember, remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. Well, that sounds like a good first for a business school, right? But this next one is even more important to me. I count everything sheer loss because all is far outweighed by the gain of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So our purpose is to prepare for eternity. Yes, we want excellent careers. We want students to do great in their careers. We want them to reach the pinnacles of success, but success should be measured in far different ways dealing with their ministry. And this is what we're trying to do. We need to move back to doing 
True education means more than pursuing a certain course of study. It has to do with the whole person and with the whole period of existence possible to human beings. It is the harmonious development of the physical, the mental, and the spiritual powers. So, to try to develop this whole person type of um, concept, we have launched a new center for innovation and entrepreneurship on our campus. So we'll have a certificate program where students can end up with a 15 credit um, certificate. We have a uh, think tank for solving innovative problems and we have a program to deal with partners with external companies. And I'll talk about these briefly. So the center comprises of these four pillars, a 15 credit certificate, industry partnerships, in-center think tank, and a fabrication maker space. <coughs> so the certificate, students will start off with a course, Introduction to Innovation and Entrepreneurships, Foundations of Play. But this is where we teach them design thinking, uh, We've had students go through this process now. We've only had this up for a couple of semesters. We already have four patents pending. Outstanding ideas that students are building their own, their own uh, product, their own business, their own ministry. I wish I could tell you about these four patents, um, but if I told you, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> because I've been sworn to, uh, to keep this information um, a secret. I signed some sort of a non-disclosure agreement. We have the second class the students will take will deal with tinkering and prototyping. The third one is the pre-launch toolbox. That's all your business plans and your intellectual property and your copyrights and that kind of thing. Then a students take a major elective that will help them with whatever their project is. So if you're working on an app for your phone, you probably take an, a programming app course that will help you with that. And then we finally get our students to launch. So our our goal is to have our students by their junior year launching their business or their product or their ministry or their service so that they can start before they're done with school, they're actually working on their business. Get them excited, get them energized, and uh, maybe they can be making some money by the time they're done. <coughs> we, that's sort of a theme that we work with. Uh, back in the aviation area, we hire our students as soon as they get through the certified flight instructor rating, we hire them at $22 an hour starting as flight instructors. We can't get enough flight instructors. Uh, maintenance students as well are hired. So that's really what we need to do. When I was in college, I was earning more money per hour than most of my students now. 35 years later are earning, and think of the inflation between now and then. There isn't very many good earning jobs that we can have our students working on while they're in school. So we um, have been working with, <coughs> we are not collaborating with Notre Dame University as far as a formal partnership, but we've been going and talking to them because they have an innovation park 
and I'll show you in a few minutes the, the, their statistics. Their goal is to make this whole southwest Michigan, northwest Indiana area a booming economic center. The more projects, the more businesses that are launched, the more successful they are. So because of that, they're willing, they've shared with us all of their intellectual property uh, policies. They've showed their whole process of how they take a business from start to launch. Um, they're basically collaborating with us in the knowledge area without signing any agreements. So our goal is to have this maker space where our innovation partners companies come in and they have us work on projects with students and with faculties. And this has already been happening to some extent. So we uh, imagine a space that has lots of opportunities for students to think innovatively and um, <coughs> come up with uh, the, f the fun part, then get into working with businesses uh, a great maker space. So the college is launching its wellness center this September, and as soon as this is launched, then they're giving us the gym, the old Johnson gym, for our innovation space. So the gym has about 19,000 19, square feet. That's where our innovation space will be, and that will be available to students from any major. All majors will be, uh, let's see if I can point out the gym here. So here's the School of Business building, the seminary, and over here is the gym. So <clears throat> we're going to be, we'll be drawing students and faculty from all over campus. To, we already have lots of faculty working on our innovation program. There's the gym. We maybe will end up making, innovating that too and getting some, um, some help with energy costs and remodeling. Here are some of the companies that we work with now or that we're planning on working with. Innovation is actually in the lifeblood of Adventists. Did you know that? Do you know who this guy is? Uriah Smith. Yep. So he had a patent for some sort of a folding chair desk thing. He had a, a patent for um, prosthetics. This is right after the Civil War. Lots of people had lost their limbs, and so he was very involved in innovation. So we're, our goal is to repurpose Johnson Gym and uh, bring in our, so we'll have companies that will have spaces that they can lock up and keep their information proprietary. We'll have different types of areas for working, so working with metal, working with wood. We'll have a cooking area. We'll have lots and lots of little, what we call garages for students. So students will be able to work on their project and then close down the door. And uh, the interaction between students and faculty and students, any major, yeah, it's, it's going to be very exciting. So we're hoping to move into there this fall. Here's what's happening at Notre Dame. There's no reason why we can't do just, just as well. In the last two years, they've had 57 startups, um, generated $3.7 million of revenue for 10 of those startups. They have 59 full-time em employees from these companies. They've generated $3.2 million in outside equity. 
they created a return on investment fund, $23 million fund that they used to fund these projects. That's something that we need to do in the Adventist Church for our students. We have a 4.7 uh, satisfaction, 62 companies in their innovation park. They've used up all their space. So we're anxious to become involved in the same type of activity, helping our students. Here's a couple of projects that our professors have been involved with. So this is an engineering professor who uh, came up with a way to um, identify the veins in somebody's arms. Only 30% of IVs are successfully started at the point of emergency. My wife works in the emergency room and I think she's more successful than 30%, so go see her. But there are times where she comes home and she says, boy, I had somebody, they were a drug user, they've been smoking all their life, and their veins were so tiny and they had needle hook, you know, all kinds of scar tissue. We just had a terrible time getting an IV in. Well, this would be a, a pretty cool um, Time Magazine thought it was the most amazing invention that year and it has a lot of potential. So this is the little prototype machine that he designed to uh, show the veins on an arm. And those are some of the collaborative uh, areas that would need to work on a project like that. Another one of our professors working with um, General Motors came up with a way to uh, test how to bend a metal piece of metal used in a car and then evaluate the strengths and weaknesses of that product and then find a better material to um, use different from what they were using. And so if you're driving a General Motors car, chances are our professor had something to do with some of the parts in your car. So this is a microscopic look at that bend. And you can't see it um, just looking at the pipe, but in fact there are some cracks in the pipe by bending it. And they can computer, with a computer, predict where those cracks will occur. And then they, uh, they go ahead and they came up with a, 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 a material that worked much better. That's sort of what we're hoping to do with our innovation center. Uh, just briefly, I want to talk about our new program, Department of Sustainable Agriculture. So Andrews University began as Battle Creek College in 1874, had lots of gardens and manual labor, but that labor was not part of the students it really, um, it, it helped, but it didn't pay for a lot of their income. So there is Andrews University today in Berrien Springs, Michigan. Oh, it's not today, but there's Lamson Hall, if you have been familiar with the campus. Lamson Hall is still there, but almost everything else has changed. And this is all student gardens back in the 1940s. So this is the uh, campus today, and as you can see, there's no gardens there. We have some gardens, but they're not nearly as large as those. So we're actually making a move back to, to the past in our history. Uh, <clears throat> so 
Emmanuel Missionary College before it became Emmanuel, uh, Andrews University, had lots of fruits and vegetables for a while. They had a dairy that started in 1907, a milk processing plant. They made ice cream, butter. And this is some pictures from that time period. There's all the fruits and vegetables they were picking and packing. There's some of the nice cows. There's the horse, Ned. He uh, delivered the milk. And uh, that's the farm today. But we just closed the dairy. Some of you would say that's a really good thing. Some of you would have a little pain in your heart. But um, we're now launching an ed agriculture education center, like many universities that have closed their dairies. And we are, for our animal science students that go on into veterinary medicine, they're going to have a whole range of animals now. Instead of 800 cows to work with, they'll have 10 or 15 cows, and they'll have 10 or 15 sheep and goats and poultry and so on. So there's just a little bit about what's going on with the, uh, the, the dairy. You probably heard they've closed, and uh, we'll have various pastures that we rotate animals through. And there's a master plan with three or four phases. So I now want to, how are we doing for time? Uh, we don't have a lot of time left. I want to look just at some of the problems that the North American education faces. We have, we're changing lives in our colleges and universities. I'm so proud of the students that graduate from them. <clears throat> so I was at the State University of New York. I sent all four of my boys to Andrews University. They're all still in the church. Uh, three of them went on to Loma Linda and they're medical doctors. One of them is an assistant treasurer at a conference in Wisconsin. Very, very proud of, of my boys, very proud of the educational system that they had. So why would I send students to an expensive university, Adventist University, when I could have sent them to the state school for very, very cheap? where I was going. And I think the quality of education at my state university was excellent. But <clears throat> the, it isn't that I was worried that they would start partying and go out and do alcohol and drugs. That's not the issue. The issue is much more subtle than that. There's wonderful people at state universities, but they have a slightly different mission than what we have. So you're, <clears throat> remember in the Bible where the Israelites um, were told not to marry, intermarry? Was that because God didn't want ever anybody to marry someone that was foreign? Absolutely not. We know that there's Moabites and there's Canaanites that were assimilated into Israel. They were part of Jesus' line. It wasn't that at all. He, he had a mission to evangelize the whole world, and the Israelites didn't do that. But it was because of the subtle influences. It's not the outright influence. It's the subtle influences that lead them, lead them away. I have friends now who say, oh, well, my student is gifted. My child is gifted, and I'm going to send them to John Hopkins University. Is there anything wrong with John Hopkins? It's a wonderful university. I'm going to send them to the University of Rochester. I'm going to send them to Harvard or Yale or wherever. And God loves our children. He'll never stop 
leading them and following them. Um, there are exceptions to every rule, but most of the students that go to the, at the undergraduate level to this community college or the state university, they drift away from the church. We're seeing a, losing a whole generation of students. To me, we have some issues with our universities sometimes. Um, I think the spiritual atmosphere is great at any of them. I would say go to any of them. Go to Southern, go to Union, go to Walla Walla. Um, you can find dedicated Christian professors there and you can find, they will be able to find a spiritual influence that can encourage them. But um, I, I fear for students going to our non-Adventist universities, unless they're going as Waldensians. So I'm very much in favor of that Waldensian program where you go with a purpose to make friends for Christ. Earn some credits. I would love to have a group of six students go to Turkey. I used to interact with universities there. Um, go to Turkey, hardly any Adventists. Have six students from Adventist schools go to that country. You have your social activities, you take classes that you transfer back, you have your Bible study time, and then if you can only invite one person, you still have a core group. If you can invite five people, you have a beautiful group. But so often in our state universities, if a student came to my little church, a college student, there'd only be one or two of them. And there, it wasn't the atmosphere that they would want to come back to. Not that there's anything wrong with our vibrant kids programs and our old people Sabbath school lesson, but they, we were missing the college students. So you really need to send a group of students together and then let them have a purpose for Christ. That's different, that's a ministry, a outreach ministry, but I'm very much in favor of sending to our Adventist schools generally, especially at the undergraduate level. So this material comes from the Education Department at the North American Division. They've done a lot of studies. All subjects, all grades, all sizes of schools over all years tested achieved above the national average. So sometimes we have a perceived quality issue, but in fact, um, we have excellent quality. And I can name lots and lots of our alumni who have gone on to be chief executive officers, chief financial officers gone to the best graduate schools. We have outstanding academics. Um, National Council for Private School Accreditation, we have the only religious system in the country where the 100% of the schools require, are required to be accredited. The Adventist Accrediting Association through the General Conference. We have the largest education system in the world if not the Catholics, I'm not sure about that one. Seen as the technology leaders in private education, this slide says that 30% of our children are in Adventist education. That means 70% are not. Those 70%, some of them will be saved for God, some of them will walk away. I, I worry about losing that generation. Um, we believe in holistic education, head, heart, and hands. 
So here's a slide that shows number attending in Adventist school is the most important thing that has helped them to develop their religious faith. So somewhat, very much, if you combine those two, 74% of our students in the year 2000 said it helped develop their religious faith. As our world becomes more and more secular, our schools become more and more important. So 32, 49, 81% in 2010, the school was the most important thing in developing religious faith. Ideally, the most important thing would be your worship in your family and what you're doing at home. But in, uh, in our current culture, the school is ending up being the most important thing. Uh, so our membership in the North American Division is inching upwards. Our North American Division school enrollments are declining. And so um, we lost about 13,000 students in a matter of a few years there. The number of schools in the North American Division is declining. And it's not because of homeschooling. So I homeschooled myself my, when I was growing up some in and out of Adventist schools and homeschooling. My children were homeschooled. They ended up going to an Adventist academy for the last couple of years. But our number of schools is declining, and I think that has a lot to say about what's going to happen in the North American Division as far as our church vitality. Here is the demographics of the age. So uh, you can see here that um, we have lots of 40 to five, 45 to 54 age category Adventists. And we have more than the general population of the 65 to 74 and the 75 to 84 Adventists. But down here, we have 20 to 24 years old, much fewer Adventists than the general population. So, one of the biggest complaints I hear about is uh, financial. It's too expensive to go to Andrews University. And then we hear um, Dave Ramsey, who I like, saying, don't spend money on a fancy private education. So when I was growing up, one time I asked my mom what would happen if we, you know, if we didn't have enough money to send me to school. And she said, well, we'd borrow the money. Well, of course, that's opposite what Dave Ramsey would say, right? I think education is a good investment. I, I, um, there's the chasm between having a college degree and having not a college degree. The earning power is tremendously different. So if you're going to go to school and borrow money, you better finish your degree. And it's been creeping up. It used to be about $900,000 difference in your lifetime earnings. Now it's probably up to $1.2, $1.5 million difference in your lifetime earnings if you have a degree or not. But notice this problem here. Here's the Adventist households. 39% whoops. 39% of Adventist households have less than $25,000 income. 30% have less than 50,000. 
So that means 69% of our Adventist households earn less than $50,000. That means we have about 31% that can afford to go to an expensive private school. So that's an issue. The number of school-aged children is a declining. So we have 74% uh, of our households have no children in them. And 26% do have children. And then from that 26, 30% of those go to Adventist schools and 70% go to non-Adventist schools. And we know from the value Genesis study how important Adventist education is. So that's an issue that is concerning. Um, you probably can't see this here, but um, this was some data that said 70% of, of um, our students were attending non-Adventist schools and colleges and universities. I talked to Larry Blackmer here a month or so ago, and he said, and I don't have the data, but he said 90% of Adventist students don't go to Adventist universities. So at the higher education level, 90% are not going to Adventist universities, 10% are going. So there's stresses on education and stresses on Adventist education. These are national stresses, declining demographics. We're having fewer babies. Federal laws that impact financial aid and accreditation. Historical trend to add programs but delete very few. Cost increases outpacing parent salaries. Um, more students trying to avoid student loan debt. So this is the Adventist universities of North America. So as of 2015, we had um, 24,751 students attending. As of 2018, that had dropped down even lower. So 2018, we had um, 23,604 students. So basically we've lost 3,200 students in the last few years, or about a 12% decrease. So if we lost all those students from one university, that would be like closing Andrews University, or closing Southern, or closing um, Walla Walla, or closing a whole bunch of the smaller universities. So is it any wonder that we're struggling financially? So here, I need some help for the last few minutes. If 90% of Seventh-day Adventist students do not attend Adventist universities, why? And uh, so why do you think they're not attending? What's the biggest reasons? Finances. Finances. Any other reasons? Value statement. Is the cost worth the value? It's not important. Well, there is some other another value. Maybe one of you will pick it up. A reason why students wouldn't attend. It's a different value. I want to stay close to home. It's important to my family that we stay together. So more and more students 
feel that way. They don't want to go away. Any other reasons why you think? Well, sometimes it's financial, but sometimes it's just, I want to stay home. I want to be close to home. I want to have, the, as a parent, I want the influence over my children. But it's still, we, um, in the State University of New York system, we, we call them, shouldn't share this with you, but we call them Long Island moms. <laughs> They were mothers that did everything for their students and, and they uh, hovered, right. helicopter parents. So there's some people that don't want to allow the student to grow and gain their independence. So here are the main objections I think that students come up with. Costs, they want to stay close to home. Perceived quality, they think they don't know that much about our university. They think the quality's better at some other place. Weather, that might be a reason not to go to Andrews. But I think if you're going to live your whole life in Florida, you should spend four years going to Andrews University and experiencing the joy of winter and the beauty and all the activities that you have. Major, maybe the major is not available. The spiritual atmosphere may be too restrictive or not good enough, so I want to go someplace else. So, I don't think in my mind that we're competing against ourselves, even though we do do that. I think we're, com I'm interested in how do we reach the 90% that are going elsewhere. And when I call a student or email a student, I pray before I call them, Lord, if this student will be benefit spiritually by coming to Andrews University, please help me to interact with them in the way to bring them here. And if they're better off going someplace else, please have them go someplace else. So our goal is how can we reach some of those students that are going to drift away from God, some of that 90%, not that they all will drift away from God. So here's a, some data that uh, Randy Graves uh, gave to me recently. Um, I decided not to attend Andrews University this year because, and then the students selected. So this is a small sample, 21. He gave me a bunch of different samples and I just grabbed one. Uh, the tuition cost was a big reason. Other financial reasons, that might be the cost of housing and food if I stay home versus going away to school. Uh, or maybe I have a car loan and I can't afford to go to school, who knows doesn't offer the degree I want, distance from home, another college was a better fit for me. And this one, I don't mind about this one if they went to Union College or Southwestern or Wachita Hills, that's fine for me. But This is a Department of Education closed schools report. You can see this is not just colleges, but there's a lot of financial problems, schools across the board. Atlantic Union College where I went was closed. This is the University of Wisconsin system. They're, close, they're um, closing a whole bunch of schools and uh, will service those students at other campuses. 
This is a quote that I think is very uh, important, uh, interesting. Nearly every other sector of the economy listens to consumers to drive innovation and improvements. The power of consumer insights has transformed, industry, transformed industries like healthcare, transportation, hospitality, travel and tourism, and financial services. Why not bring these benefits to higher education? So I'm going to race ahead here because I want to stop. Um, we, do, we did have a summit in Chicago where a lot of the church uh, educational leaders got together to talk about how we could collaborate more and perhaps come up with a stronger Adventist system of education. So I think we need to work on work programs. That's something that we'll be working on at Andrews talking about. I would love to see a day come where a select group of students could be promised a debt, they come out of Anders, out of our schools debt free. They promise to work, they take fewer classes during the semester so they have more time to work. They take five or six years to finish but they will come out debt free. That would be a wonderful program. A fascinating uh, thing that's happening is income sharing agreements. The uh, president of Purdue University, he was the governor of Indiana, he has frozen tuition for the last, last five or ten years at Purdue University. They've cut costs dramatically and uh, they are coming out with these income sharing agreements where investors say, I will give you money, it's not a loan, I'm giving you money for the part of your education that you can't cover with federal loans and federal grants and then you will give back to me a certain percent of your income. So if you're an engineer it might be two to three percent of your income for the next five years. If you're a uh, history major, it might be five or six percent of your income for the next six or eight years. History majors generally earn less money than engineers and so they need a little higher percent. So if the student doesn't get a job, they don't pay back the income. If the student gets a job that pays too small an amount, the, the, uh, they don't have to pay back the income. Pay back. If the student gets a pay raise that goes up three or four times, so they're earning $200,000, they don't have to, they have their amount they have to pay back capped so it doesn't go too high. So it's an investment tool where we say these students are worth investing in. We're going to help them come out of school debt free or at least um, additional debt free. And um, there's a lot of interest in this. I would love to see this, this, get some help from our uh, mission advancing austerity, system-wide collaboration. We just had a great business teachers conference um, with Adventist te business teachers from around the world got together. It's amazing the excitement there is for having a world-class business program rather than a bunch of separate mediocre business programs. I don't know how long it will take for us to launch this. I think I'm going to quit there. Thank you so much, everybody. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries.
If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.